0: you. <music> Welcome. I'm Christina Michelle inviting you to join me for culture rich conversations an ongoing feature of Juno Afternoon. Today we're wrapping up season 3 by having a candid conversation about the LGBTQIA+ community of color and indigenous peoples in Alaska. From discrimination in the workplace to providing teens with adequate support, we're taking a look at the hard truths many in this community face every day. My guests are ordinary people living extraordinary lives and I can't wait to get started with this discussion from KTOO and Juno. This is Culture Rich Conversations.
1: Culture-Rich Conversations is made possible by a grant from the Social Justice Fund Grant Program of the Alaska Community Foundation.
2: Culture-Rich Conversations on Juno Afternoon is sponsored in part by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon of the Alaska Wild Salmon Company, delivering fresh salmon to Juneau homes since 2006. Learn more at goodsalmon.com or 907-321-4997.
0: The Black Awareness Association would like to take a moment to recognize that Culture Rich Conversations is broadcast from (laughs) Flinkit Ani. We acknowledge those families who made use of this land and waterways for thousands of years and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life. For today and future generations. Gunal Thank you. You're listening
3: to Culture Rich. Culture Rich.
0: Welcome to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Today, I'm excited to welcome my guests and discuss their experience of the BIPOC LGBTQIA community in Alaska. They are Alex Sale, Perry Sanders, Jarek Hope Lang, and Chloe Kavanaugh. Welcome, everyone. Before we begin, please take a moment to share a bit about yourselves with our listeners. We'll start with you, Alex. Koyanakpak for having me. My name is Alex
3: Salee. I'm Anupiak and Mexican um, from uh, Degayakak, known as Anchorage, uh, on Dena'ina lands. My family's from uh, Shishmarath and Nome, and uh, I'm born and raised here in Anchorage. I'm a filmmaker full-time. I um, am the principal director for Anua Productions and uh, grateful to be here today. Also sit on the the board of uh, Identity as the co chair, uh, which is uh, Anchorage's LGBTQ um, nonprofit and health clinic here.
0: Awesome, thank you so much, Alex. And I apologize for mispronouncing your name. I got it now. <laughs> all all good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Perry. Hi,
2: I'm Perry. Um, I'm from Bethel. I'm Yupik from Bethel. My Yupik name is Gunjuk. Um, I have maternal ties to St. Mary's on the Yukon. So that's where my mom's family is. I'm living on Dena'ina lands in Anchorage for um, the last four years now with Alex and our puppy Dash. I uh, recently graduated with my master's in indigenous studies and am transitioning into um a new workplace next week.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Perry. Welcome, Thank and you. Uh
4: I'm Jericho O'Blang. I'm uh, currently in Shikikwan. Uh, uh Juno is my home. I uh, my Klinka name is Lutine. I'm a Klinka Simpson. Uh, like I said, I reside in Juno. Uh, my homeland is Sitka, Alaska. Uh, currently here doing some subsistence stuff, and I have recently been working on some land repatriation and working on developing and rebuilding the clan house and understanding more clan house culture. So that's my current current gig.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jarek. Welcome. And finally, we have Chloe. Hi,
1: everybody. Oh, my gosh. All this pressure of hanging out with all these cool people. <laughs> um, I'm Chloe Cavanaugh. My Clinkit name is Cluck Shaw. Um, I reside in Juneau, Aquan territory, and I'm a child of the Wasanadi Eagle Wolf. And I work for Klinken and Haida as a communications specialist, and also work on Oc Rock, the indigenous music festival that's in Juneau coming up in September. So that's kind of what I get to do, hang out with cool people and do cool things.
0: Awesome, thank you so much, Chloe. And Chloe's joining us here in the studio, so that's wonderful. Okay, so let's get started by educating our listeners on the acronyms uh, that they'll be hearing today. Um, So I've already said LGBTQIA plus a couple of times, and this is an evolving acronym that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer, or questioning. intersex, and asexual or allies. Did I get that right?
3: Yeah, there are a few different versions. The uh, the one I've been um, sticking to most is LGBTQI2S+, so acknowledging
0: our two-spirit community as well. Okay, LGBTQI2S+. Got it. Okay, and then BIPOC, which you'll hear us say a few times in this conversation today, and it stands for Black Indigenous Person of Color. Okay, so... Um, living in Alaska, it can feel like we live in a bubble, and in many ways we do, but that doesn't exempt us from hardships that stem from discrimination and ignorance. When times like these arise, it's important to find allies and people who can be a support system when we need it. So in having this conversation today, I'm just going to pose a few questions and invite you guys to all uh, share your answers and your thoughts about it. And when you do, if you can just say your name so that our listeners can uh, know who who they're talking or hearing from and get familiar with your voices. Um, So I will just start with um, asking the question about if you can share your experience around feeling supported in your community. And I know that that's a broad question, so um, you can start wherever you like and we'll just go from there. And um, Alex, would you mind sharing first? Sure. Um, you know, I grew up uh, here in
3: the Eagle River and Anchorage area my whole life um, and did, really didn't see any representation of Indigenous queer people. Um, and so when I think about supported, you know, not knowing that we existed or um, it, even in a positive way as an Indigenous person, um, there's been so many stereotypes around our people, you um, it was, I think it was tough to find kind of my identity as a person. Um, and, you know, in Eagle River specifically, mm-hmm. going to the Eagle River and Chugiak school mm-hmm. system it was very, very heavily white. You know, there's a handful of people of color there. Um, and then moving into Anchorage later on, and it, it's quite a diverse community here. Um, and slowly meeting people that, you um, are very open with their gender identity and sexuality. And as I got older, you know, um, the industry I work in as a filmmaker, I lived in LA for a long time and I started to realize, um, just, just like actually how gay I am (laughs) Uh, in many ways. And, um, And so, I think that there is still a lot of work to do and support here, and why? And that's why I joined uh, the board of identity here in Anchorage. And also, what what the work that I do as a filmmaker and a content creator is um, highlighting our people and highlighting the community um, through my film work. A lot of it I do. For free. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really make money off of doing that kind of work. And I do want to find more collaborators to help support those types of things. Um, I did pitch a series last two years ago to native movement and we did a series called deer kin. Um, and a part of that was like, almost just for me, like seeing other positive representation of queer LGBTQI2S plus um, people, indigenous people all throughout Alaska. Um, and and we are still doing screenings of that, of that series. But um, yeah, I mean, I think there's still a lot of work to do around supporting our community.
0: Thank you, Alex. Um, Perry, I'll ask you to share. We'll just kind of go in this order and then we'll that way you you'll know what to expect. So we'll go Alex and then Perry and Chloe and then Jarek.
2: All right. Um, so coming from a smaller indigenous community, I feel like, you know, moving here, um I, I've seeked out indigenous community first before anything else. That's really um, right when I moved here, I started trying to figure out, like, how am I going to stay connected to my indigenous roots? How am I going to find that community? Um, and I did that a lot through really just uh, starting with my work, and then you know, going into school, um, finding support in those ways. I don't necessarily think that when I've like since I've moved here, and upon moving here, that I naturally was seeking out um, queer community. And I will say that even though I am not always seeking that out, I do feel like there is a lot of activity in in Anchorage and surrounding Anchorage for queer people to gather. And and to do things in joy. Um, and I feel like, especially in the last maybe like two years, um, and maybe it's just that I'm more open to seeing these things, um, that I feel like there are so many more events now and people are being really, really mindful about um, gathering for, for happy and joyful things and gathering in, in community. So I'm really grateful
1: to see more of that happening now. Awesome. Thank you, Perry. Chloe. Um, yeah, I think kind of similarly, I definitely have been kind of seeking out those support systems in indigenous community because a lot of the times within um, LGBTQ plus spaces, there's not necessarily I've always found the spaces to um feel also the safe space to be indigenous and also to find those spaces where those blend of, I think, when you think of LGBTQ plus inclusivity, it's those specific spaces where very rarely I like find that those two worlds have blended of that support, Mm -hmm. um, kind of going more into the indigenous community as well. So I've have felt that, um, it's feels more authentic for me to connect with LGBTQ plus people that are indigenous and not having to feel like those spaces are kind of, um, not always present. I'm always able to be LGBTQ plus in my indigenous spaces and also connect with my culture, but I don't always see those representations in um, the support systems in Juno or in LGBTQ plus spaces. So um, I, I find that like a lot of my support systems are at more traditional events or indigenous events or spaces where my culture is already existing.
0: Interesting. Okay. Thank you, Chloe, and Jerick.
4: Yeah, um, I'll first. Of all, start by saying I'm probably the oldest in this group, so I think the evolution of that inclusivity has been a little bit um, of an evolution that I've witnessed. Um, I think growing up in Sitka, um, and I'm 41, so in gay years, I think that's 80. Um, <laughs> I, I, be- I believe I just saw things different. I, you know, maybe growing up in the village was, for me, it felt like at the time, maybe I was the only gay Indian. And I think similar to a lot of maybe indigenous experiences from people my age, I think I felt the need to leave in order to find connection to people that were like me. Um, so initially I think probably from my own fear, uh of fear of not wanting to stick out. Um, the indigenous side of me was maybe part of the thing that I tried to um not avoid because it's not avoidable, but it's something I I tried to shy away from because I didn't want to stand out in the spotlight. So i I think what I've noticed now, so I moved to the lower 48. Um I owned a gay bar in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I also lived in LA. So I have that shared experience with uh, another panelist here and um, Alex. And so I think there's the idea that I had to go away to find what I was looking for. And most interestingly, moving back about five years ago, I found it more important. I think in the process of decolonizing myself that um, um, the indigenous side of me was very important and it went kind of, um, Hand in hand with uh, the community that I kind of fell into, I found the community that I had been looking for the whole time that maybe I didn't find in the outside world. So I think what I've seen is an evolution in our state of um, just feeling like there's a little bit more movement and um feeling like this is the place I can be. Whereas before I didn't see that for myself, the future didn't look like Alaska for me when I was young. Mm. And I think for, for a long time, I tried to avoid that. And I think being homeless time and full disclosure, I'm friends with everybody on this panel, uh, (laughs) even though we're (laughs) statewide, um, that, that I, I found what I've been looking for my whole life. And, um, it's very interesting as an older person, seeing younger people come up and, and, and watching their experience and, and looking from the sidelines and seeing how, not being jealous, but being happy of the progression that's happened for our people, um, not, in the, not even just in the small communities, but statewide, seeing how that's grown and evolved. So it's it's a pride thing to sit back and observe, if that makes sense, I guess.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, Jarek. If you're just joining us, this is Christina Michelle, and I am here with Alex Solly, uh, Perry Sanders, Chloe Kavanaugh, and Jarek Hope Lang, and we are having a conversation about um, the LGBTQI2S plus community here in Alaska. So I'm going to ask if you guys can share a little bit about some of the misconceptions that you feel exist around your community. Just educate us a little bit here Um, and uh, Alex, we'll start with you.
3: I think the biggest one right now that we're seeing a lot is that drag culture is predatory. Um, It isn't. It's an art um, we are seeing a lot of, uh, attack on, on our, um, drag community and, um, it really, it really sucks, sucks to see that, you know, here recently in Anchorage, um, we have a monthly event called, uh, drag Lotería, which is like, um, uh, an all ages non alcoholic um, community event where uh, families will come and play lot- lotería, which is like a Spanish bingo, Mexican bingo, um, and uh, uh, there was a lot of um, discussion within the community about, or you know, there. My friend Kendra, um, you know, her and her partner put it on, and they were receiving like death threats around it. They were receiving. Oh a lot of a lot of hate around this community event and so this last weekend um Guard, which is a, a community organization here that protects lgbtqia 2s plus communities and their events um, they got a ton of new new volunteers to come out and support the the event and it's all peaceful security and protection. And so they had, I think they said like 50 or or so, um, community members come out and just like stand and like be in front of protesters as the people that wanted to attend the event, uh, showed up because it's all about just like blocking that hateful speech and that hateful, hateful, um, you know, kind of, uh, signs and that kind of stuff. But, um, they're, they're You know, it's just like living, letting people live in the space that they want to and be them their full selves um, there. We are continuing to fight even in 2023 for um, non-discrimination laws like there's there's a lot of you uh, know, I'm sure, you know, Jarek and Chloe probably can talk about it more um, on on some of the bills that have been happening. But um, yeah, there's always lots of work to do here.
0: So, Alex, when you say um, the misconception about drag culture being predatory, what do you think that the, the fear is? Like, where does that what's the predator element of it?
3: Yeah, so there's a um events called drag story time that happen where a drag queen will read a book to uh young youth and uh, what what I've seen a lot on the conservative side of things that they they think it's inappropriate for drag queens this man dressing up like a woman to to be able to share this space and and read to a young person. Um I don't know uh why uh, and I'm grateful not to know why they feel that way, you know. Um, obviously, I don't share the same values, but that is something we continue to see nationally um, th- throughout everywhere and now is
0: hitting Alaska. OK. All right. Thank you. I I wanted to ask because I had a conversation with somebody recently about um, like bathrooms and um, and. People who are in drag using bath, just the whole situation with that. And I don't understand um, the fear around it necessarily. Um, And so I was wondering if that was like part of that misconception or the the predatory element of it. So thank you for um, giving another example of that. Um, And Perry, any anything to share on misconceptions? I don't
2: know that this is necessarily considered um a misconception, uh, but I know that, you know, in smaller communities, rural Alaskan communities, it um it does feel like queer people, queer indigenous people don't exist. Um that was just, you know, my experience growing up in a in a rural community. Um, and even uh, you know, with relatives that people sort of suspected might might be queer, they all like just kind of lived in silence. And I feel like there's still this culture of silence in smaller communities. So I don't know that that's a misconception or just a a norm at this point, but it does feel like um, in these smaller communities, it's it's difficult to bring these bring queer people to the forefront and um, have them feel safe in expressing that part of their identity so I feel like um, youth in these in these areas don't necessarily always know what a, a healthy queer person looks like mm.
1: Thank you so much, Perry. I'm um, Chloe. Yeah, I think kind of adding to that, I think there's this misconception that you're ever too young to experience representation. And I think like we're seeing that with a lot of house bills that are in conversation of, you know, just sex education and um, who has access to bathrooms based on their gender identity. And I think the misconception is that there is one way of being lgbtq S mm. Um, just that you can identify based on your gender and sexuality um, and also the way like our re- relationships exist, whether like with um, monogamy and non-monogamy and all these conversations that go beyond just sexuality that I never f- similarly felt I got to experience as a youth. Like I remember my health teacher, like out of fear of losing her job, brought someone in to talk about her experience of being indigenous and bisexual. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, can I do half of that? (laughs) I was like, felt like I was like, I'm getting closer to like, and Mm -hmm. the immense joy I felt in that of not just having these misconceptions of kids that were like poking fun at what it meant to be gay and Mm -hmm. making it a joke, but having these representation and conversations that kind of went against that. And I think there's this big misconception that there's an age or there's only one space that you can have these conversations where that representation should be able to exist everywhere.
0: I love that. Thank you, Chloe and Jarek. Yeah,
4: I think the thing I think of the most is, or misconception-wise, would be that um, prior to colonization, that people like us didn't exist. I think uh, colonial perspectives and history has done a good job of kind of erasure of what people like us would have looked like 200 years ago. Um, So, uh, and I think there's a misconception that so that we didn't exist before. Like this is a new phenomenon, or that we hadn't, people like us hadn't been active in uh, the tribal history of this state. And so I think for me, when I, when I think about uh, like, who would I have been 200 years ago? Like how would I have fit with my tribe? Mm. How would I have fit into my clan? What would my family have been? Uh, I think there's a misconception that a, that we wouldn't have been that, that had a seat at the table. And also that, 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 um, homophobia and things like that are, uh, um our our uh, behavior that was our, historical to our people i think that there's a colonial perspective that might have attached itself to us and i think as we continue to decolonize i think we'll see more and more that we were actually part of the narrative as well so the misconception standing for me that we've always been here like time immemorial like our ancestors we walked alongside of them and i think that the fear and and the um the misunderstanding or lack of knowledge of us, I think comes from a colonial perspective and, and, and religion and how that tied into, um, you know, how, how we're currently treated and the issues that we're facing now with like HB 99 and HB 105.
0: Thank you, Jarek.
3: Alex, did you want to add I, something? Can sure. I add to that? Yep. Yeah. I mean, Jarek kind of like, um, made me think of, you know, really historically, um, A lot of indigenous communities saw more than two genders and queer people and and trans people were actually highly regarded in a lot of different indigenous cultures and held positions of leadership. Um, And that is part of some of the erasure that has happened. And um, I hope one day we, we get to restore in a good way.
0: Thank you, Alex. So, I will pose this question before we go to break, and it's about um, discrimination. And um, a survey was done back in 2020, and the results found that BIPOC LGBTQIA 2S plus communities experienced more heightened discrimination surrounding healthcare, housing, and education. Have you found this to be true in your personal experiences?
4: Is this just abroad, or are we are we going? Are we answering individually?
0: Yep. yeah. Whoever wants <laughs> uh, to
4: go, go for um, it for employment, I haven't experienced that. My recent employment was with the tribe, um, and so I've not ex- I've not experienced that. Or if I or I'm grossly aware of it, I think in in terms of medical, that's where I've seen the the biggest mm-hmm. um, kind of fall off in that way for IHS for Indian Health Services for Native American people. I still, to this day, when I go in, don't get screened for STDs unless I go in myself. Um, There's a lot of preventative medication that's available for at least uh, representing the gay community, which is what I'm part of, uh, for drugs like Truvada and PrEP. I don't see a lot of advocacy in Indian Health Service for that. And one of the things I'm concerned about for the next generation and the one that's standing with us right now is also gender affirming health care within the Indian health systems so including SEARCH, including Alaska Native Medical Center. So where where I think discrimination might come in, where it doesn't look blatant, is the lack of acknowledgement of those communities and um, the lack of medical representation for them. Um, my my experience is pretty limited because SEARCH is who I see. So I can't speak to up north, but that's an area where I see kind of medical uh, discrimination.
0: Thank you, Jarek. Does anybody else want to add to that? You know, as a small business owner,
3: um, it's something I'm aware of and sometimes will shy away from speaking with when I am hiring people in a financial setting, um, you know, for my business. Um, I think it's always in the back of my head and and maybe I haven't experienced it directly because I'm always kind of protecting myself. And I think LGBTQI to us plus people are always kind of on a protection mode uh, in a way. Um, also in the healthcare system, like it is uncomfortable, like knowing that, um, you know, I, I, at IHS, I go to the native hospital here in in Anchorage. It it always feels like you can't be like 100 with people, um, because there is still that, um, circumstance of being discriminated because we don't have protections. Um, so I think ultimately it's always like, I feel uneasy, um, about it and, and have maybe just like lived my life protecting myself, which Mm kind of sucks in that way. Um, so Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Kind of adding to what Alex was saying, I think, um, well, I guess, and to add to what Jarek said, I work for Clinton and Haida too. And I've just, uh, when I, when I get to be in the spaces where I also get to be in workspaces that allow me to dress in a way that feels professional to myself, I've not always felt that with other work environments where there's a pressure of that, um, men and women dress a certain way instead of being able to express yourself in a way that feels authentic to yourself. Um, I've been, I've interviewed for jobs where they're like, and women wear heels and skirts and button ups. And I'm like, that sounds absolutely awful. I'm like, I'm going to trip over myself. That sounds horrible. Um, and just kind of the fear too of when I have ex, When I have accepted positions at workplaces where I know we're one leadership position away from everything changing in my world of maybe someone is okay with the way I am, the way I present, and my relationships, but that is um, one leadership shift from not being there. So I think that's always that fear of discrimination and that fear of everything. kind of being pulled out from underneath you is always there and has happened in past work environments where I'm immensely supported until the wrong leadership Mm. comes into play. And then that fear is realized.
4: Wow. Can I add, can I add something really quick to that? Are we on break? No, go for it, Jarek. I think, I think another thing too, is um, what discrimination is a really powerful word uh, and uh, lack of advocacy also can look like discrimination. Hmm. And I think when, when we unfold things, and I think those questions will be answered after the break, I'm kind of transitioning my thought pattern into, well, like a good example for Chloe and I, having been a former tribe employee and her there now, is their um, support for HB99 and House Bill 105. and And then looking at my individual tribe and saying, well, gosh, they haven't said anything, and this is a human rights issue. So sometimes... Uh, lack of advocacy can look or smell like discrimination. And um it is hard to say that because there's good people in, in tribal networks. And so it's not a call out, but I do think that um when people don't stand together as a unified front uh, for their own people, sometimes again, i'm I'm repeating myself that lack of advocacy looks to looks like discrimination. So I'm proud of uh the tribe, uh specifically Kukin Haida for standing up and supporting these bills. And Richard Peterson for saying out loud that that yes, we're here, we're part of that community, and this is a human rights issue, and that we need to be, you know, moving towards that direction. So uh I think we'll go into that probably after the break. So I'm gonna pull myself back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds good, Jarek. Thank you so much. Um, the voices that you've been hearing so far are of Alex Sally, Perry Sanders, Chloe Kavanaugh, and Jarek Hope Lang. I'm Christina Michelle, and this is Culture Rich Conversations. We will be right back after a quick break. Hanson Grass, Ka with the Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Before we went to break, my guests, Alex, Perry, Jarek and Chloe, were sharing about their experiences living in Alaska, uh, being part of the BIPOC LGBTQI 2S Plus community. So let's continue the conversation. Um, Jarek, before we went to break, you were sharing a little bit, and I wanted to give you a chance to finish your thought if you had anything else to say before we move into uh, the next topic, which I'm actually going to ask about um, the Juno Assembly and an ordinance that was passed. But before I do, do you have anything, Jarek?
4: Well, I, I... I'm reluctant because I think we're going to, uh, I'm wondering, I'm looking at the list of questions as we go, mm-hmm. if if this is going to be something that's addressed later. Uh, so I think at the last question that you have said to me, mm-hmm. maybe I'll do my final thoughts on that. So I might, I might sit on it.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. So, um back in 2016, the Juneau Assembly passed a fully inclusive non-discrimination ordinance by a vote of 8 to 1, making Juneau only the second Alaskan city where all people are protected against unfair and unequal treatment. Do you feel that that goes far enough? All right, Alex, I'm seeing ahead shake no do you want to elaborate on that no okay.
3: yeah it should be it should be statewide you know um protection should be for all Alaskans um not just I mean that's cool that Juno has done that um I think Anchorage definitely has work to do and and statewide we have a lot of work to do to protect all people across the state
0: okay any other thoughts on that so we'll switch gears a little bit here and uh, talk about mental health for a bit. Over 39% of the LGBTQIA2 community in America reported having a mental illness in the past year. That's nearly 5.8 million people. Can you guys share a little bit about what you think attributes to these experiences? And I'll, I'll add to that that many report that their mental health challenges are a result of societal stigma, discrimination, um, and denial of civil and human rights. So would you agree with that? Would you add to it or take something away?
4: Well, I th- I would say that I think mental health, there's a mental health crisis in the United States. I don't think, I, I think our community is part of it. I don't think we're all of it. Um, but. Part of me thinks that when we're addressing like uh, um, systemic racism, or we're addressing institutional racism, which are, come from places that don't necessarily share or advocate our values, you know, like we talked about the Indian health system, and um, how how is like like I go back to gender affirming healthcare? How are we being addressed? I mean, when when we we're apprehensive about being our true selves with just a medical doctor how are we finding the right representation? I I mean, do we have therapy or therapists that are trained in, in, um, in our community and how do they, how do we access them and how do we access that healthcare and who's advocating for? And, and I think the important thing is kind of addressing those in a younger perspective. So they, they have a healthy, um, a healthy way to access those things so that later in life, they're not struggling, like, I, I mean, I've dealt with depression and things like that and anxiety. And I think those do come from those things. So I think part of me thinks that the, the overall system needs to be relooked at. I think, um, uh, IHS being one of them.
1: Thank you, Jarek. Yeah. I think kind of adding on to that, I think, you know, the space to be able to have these conversations is, and know that you, uh, feel safe is kind kind of a hard one to find. Um, I think, like, the first time I started to, like, have these questions about, like, my own mental health and also, like, my identity and how I was going to exist in the community that I do, I was eight years old. Mm. And... That's young. Yeah. And then the only person you feel like you can talk to is your parents and maybe people in your school. Mm-hmm. And then feeling like some of these conversations weren't conversations that were just already being had to really took a toll on my mental health as a youth. And now moving into adulthood um, and being in a smaller community and knowing how to have conversations that feel s- feel safe is really difficult. So I think having the ability to have conversations in spaces that feel safe before we get to the point of conflict, like we wait for a problem to Mm. arise of we're already feeling really sad and we're already feeling really depressed and we're already feeling all these things Um, instead of having these preventative conversations that build up support along with the things that everyone struggles with mental health issues, but having those supports and conversations so it doesn't feel like such a lonesome topic. Thank you,
0: Chloe. Would anybody like to share more about the resources that you know about for youth? And um, and if there aren't any, what do you think that we can do to change that and to provide more resources for the youth?
3: Well, Identity Alaska here in Anchorage um, does Q Club, which um, they is like a weekly um, queer youth club um and we have a discord of a few hundred youth that um get on there and just are able to chat and have a support group <clears throat> and anyone can join that uh through identityalaska.org um this summer we are also doing camp identity for um youth uh i think it's i believe it's 13 to 17 and then we're doing young adults from 18 to uh, mid 20s um and and we are discussing when we would love to um, do stuff for adults, you know, too, and families, um, because we do need like these gatherings and community, um, you know, uh, places where community can come together and support and like have fun together. Um, also, we have a, a group called Transparent for parents of gender expansive youth um, that meets, I believe, uh, biweekly and it's just like, you know, as a parent, as I can only imagine the things that they're all, um, you know, coming up against as they are learning about their child's transition and understanding it. And also some of the legal things when it comes to name changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so so those are a couple of groups that identity does provide. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't know um, other what other communities provide.
4: I would like to say, you know, growing up, growing up in Sica and Juno. Um, having Zach Gordon Youth Center right in the kind of the center of the Clinkett Village, if you will. During Pride recently, I noticed that there was a Pride flag outside of the Zach Gordon Youth Center. And I'll say as an Indian, young Indian, when I would go to dances and things there when I was young, I was actually kind of afraid of that. So Mm. it was a big shift for me seeing a place where originally I felt like it wasn't necessarily safe, really clearly advertising that they were a safe space for those people. And I'm not a young person anymore, so as a resolution-based person, I would like to say, like, if there's room for older people to advocate and be involved, I'm sure people like me and Chloe would uh, greatly, I'd be happy to step in and help. And I think, as opposed to this being a call-out, if if tribes or uh, hospitals want to work with people like us, you know, we're accessible through social media. Uh, we're people that were within the community. I really hope people listen to this and say, well, gosh, if there's a need, how do we go about it? It's just kind of hard to advocate for things that maybe don't affect you because our community is rather broad. I mean, there's quite a bit of letters and numbers that we've thrown in there. And and so in recognizing that I can't encompass all of those things or know their needs. So I, I, I implore people within our community of Juno, at least for me and Chloe, I'll say that we're absolutely accessible and stop us. And if there's an opportunity for us to help advocate for things such as uh, health care or, or, or you know youth run organizations that need leadership, I certainly think we're the people that have the time and energy and and heart to want to help them. So um, if we don't have the answer now, it doesn't mean we're not going to find it.
0: I love that. Thank you, Jarek. <clears throat> I would be remiss if I didn't mention the new bill that Governor Dunleavy introduced. On March 7th, the governor announced a bill that would increase the amount of parental permissions needed to teach sex education and change students' names or pronouns in school. If passed by the legislature, students would need their parents' permission permission before taking a sex ed class or joining a program or club related to gender and sexuality. Dunleavy denied that the bill targets queer and transgender youth. Instead, he said it's meant to strengthen parental rights and increase transparency in schools. However, Anchorage Democratic Senator Loki Tobin, who chairs the Senate Education Committee, said the bill could increase feelings of isolation among LGBTQ students. More specifically, she is quoted as saying they are probably our most vulnerable young people, and in many cases, their public school is the safest place for them. It's where there's a trusted adult that sees them for who they are. It's where they can go by their correct name and their correct pronouns and where they get to be a kid. So what are your thoughts about this bill, and is it necessary?
4: My thoughts that he's entrusted with the state of Alaska and those people are representative of the state of Alaska. And if they're saying what their needs are and that's not his community, I don't really see it as his place to speak for them. Uh, I stand with the students on this one and and I don't, you know, my belief is that if you're going to be a positive leader for a state, you don't create laws that um, prohibit people from being who they are and living their authentic selves.
1: I think adding on to that, I think that input when you're receiving input and you're in a position of leadership and you have an opportunity to create change—that's that's the slim difference between um, causing harm and causing positive change—is mm-hmm. hearing the voices directly from the community that are saying, "I don't, I don't want this," and I think across the board, even as adults and as reflect on what it's like to be a kid, there are a lot of conversations we weren't ready to have with our parents. Mm. And that's an across the board problem. And it's it's about trust and it's about having the personal freedom and privacy to have conversations and feel heard and having also control and the power and knowing who that information goes to. I, I think we look at it Uh, all the time with the amount of um, kids in foster care and the kids that are struggling is that not every safe home is safe. And you're under the assumption that every parent is accepting. And there's people who are very harmful parents and won't have the best interest of who who their kid kind of comes into contact with and what they do with that information. And I think a kid has a say and a right to speak up on if their household's safe to have that information. And you're taking that away.
0: Mm-hmm. Very well said. Thank you, we, Sorry, Jared, go ahead.
4: When we address discrimination earlier too, what does it say to our children when the top of the pyramid is saying what their feelings are and who they want to be, is not, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, that's what discrimination looks like. The people at the top are, are advocating against what the children want. And I I, I think that's scary. What does that power shift say? Like, where do they feel safe? Do they feel safe for their state? Do they feel safe in their school? Do they feel safe in their home? I mean, when the top of the pyramid is saying things like that, it is really, it's scary to me.
0: Yeah, I think it's a classic case of intention versus impact. It sounds like, um, Alex, I I agree. I I think,
3: Mm -hmm. yeah, I think this is a super scary bill. Um, you know, not everyone's parents are accepting of them. You know, this is forcibly outing LGBTQIA2S plus youth out to their parents. And that can be, that can have, Um, volatile impacts on them. Um, And also like, who are you to say what someone's true gender is? Um, Part of this bill also, you know, targets transgender youth, like forcing them to use bathrooms or locker rooms that don't exactly match their gender identity and gender identity and sexual identity are very two different things to make it clear. Um, There's just so much harm, I think, from this. Um, Part of this also is the sex ed ban uh, for fourth grade and under. And part of what I think what right wing people are advocating or conservative people are advocating is saying, you know, kids, young kids shouldn't learn about sex at a young age. And sex ed isn't about sex. It's about protecting um, boundaries. So part of that is um, understanding like. Hey, if someone's a little bit in your boundary or touching you a little weird, or, you know, things are a little weird, that's part of sex ed is understanding that, Hey, that's not okay. Um, and, and youth should be able, young people should be able to understand those things and understand how to help themselves in a dangerous situation or knowing that they're allowed to protect themselves or knowing what a boundary means, um, these are, re- are really important things, I think, for our young people to understand um, that could have impacts for the rest of their lives.
0: Thank you, Alex. Well, we are coming up on the end of our show today. We have a couple more minutes. And so I want to ask before we go, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to touch on?
1: Mm, I just kind of want to add on to what Alex was saying, because I think it is really important of just a lot of the issues that we're having in our communities are because those spaces we like put an age cap on when these conversations are able to be had of just like even that saying, you know, I really liked how Alex said of just saying, hey, you know, you're in my bubble, you're in my space. And then we wait for that conversation to get to point Mm -hmm. To the point where you're saying like you've violated my consent and then having these Mm non-consensual sexual relationships and then having these things that then become bigger problems where we're not asking for big conversations at a young age, but these small conversations that then... then build into bigger conversations that are vital for youth to feel empowered and to grow into um, amazing adults who have the baseline and bare minimum of these bigger conversations that then we have these amazing conversations in our community that prevent a lot of harm. And we're seeing that with bills too, of conversations that prevent harm by getting direct input, by getting direct feelings and having these conversations. I think it's, I think it's just so important to not blockade and put an age gap on when we can talk about those things and when we can understand but listen to the youth and create that space
0: for them thank you chloe
4: i like what chloe said there too i, I think um body and social and medical autonomy are really important and um i think that if we remove this from one i i think it could just it can move i don't think it's just going to be about trans or queer youth that I, I think it could move. And I think we've seen that in other States with uh, women's reproductive rights. And I, I get nervous. So you start removing rights from one class of people that it can transfer to another. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a spider web effect. Um, and so, yeah, um, I, I guess if I was going to, is this our final, our final thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: We've got just a couple minutes here.
4: My my final thought is like, it's time for um, our individual tribes to reach out. And I think as uh, people in this community, if you're hearing this, I think it's a call out and it's made me realize that I need to reach out to my individual tribe as well and say, you know, there's time. Um, I think tribal governments could reach out and write a letter of support to um, House Bill 99, House Bill 105, uh, and send those to the bill sponsor and say, because it's as a tribal people that we're standing up for these human rights. And and um, I think the time is now it's kind of, it's woke something in me. It's very interesting mm-hmm. that this conversation has led me to believe that I can't just sit in my laurels. I have to, I have to do more advocacy. It seems like there's more work that needs to be done. So this is a call out. I think tribal governments, individual, I'm going to reach out to mine. I encourage uh, the people on this panel to do that as well to their own. And I think that that's something that I can work on and, Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that.
0: Thank you, Jarek. Perry is there anything you'd like to say you've been quiet for the last few minutes i, I know I'm sure. sorry
2: I'm um it's really hard for me because I'll start like writing notes about things that I want to say and then i'm not fast enough and it like <laughs> moves on um I was thinking um in terms of the sexual health education um conversation that was i i'm just coming out of a position where I worked in sexual health education for nearly four years for indigenous youth and And I will say that, you know, those... um hurdles aren't anything new it's really difficult to get that information into classrooms so it's disheartening and it's really scary to know that you know we're coming up on possibly more hurdles for that one it's already nearly impossible to get youth this information and it's all really important information it's um you know things about protecting your body and learning to say yes learning to say no a lot of times um Youth just don't even have those tools. You think that that's like a common sense thing, but it's really like um, the reality is that 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 it's it's not always a common sense thing, and it's not something that people always have practice in. So even that like most basic tool um, can be really difficult for a person to understand unless they get the practice in that. So knowing that this information is already you know it's really limited, um, and understanding that it it could potentially become even more so is it is really scary and we do need to do what you know what we can to um, make sure that these services are still something that we're able to provide in safe ways
0: thank you so much perry thank you okay well it has been an Excellent conversation today. I want to say a heartfelt thank you to Alex, Solly, Perry Sanders, Chloe Kavanaugh, and Jarek Hope Ling for being here with us today. Thank you for taking the time, sharing your time, sharing your experience with you. us. And I know that I learned quite a bit preparing for this show and uh, learned even more in uh, during this conversation with you all. And I hope that our listeners have had the same experience. This is Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle, and we'll be right back.
1: Support for Juno Afternoon comes from Heritage Coffee Roasting Company, providing Juno with locally roasted coffee for over 40 years with cafes and drive through locations throughout Juno. More at heritagecoffee.com.
0: Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. If you or someone you know is experiencing thoughts of self-harm or suicide for any reason, please know that you are not alone and help is available 24 hours a day. Please dial 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Hotline. Also, if you are a person in need of support in the LGBTQIA2S plus community here in Alaska, please go to www.identityalaska.org to find access to resources, programs, and health care. Today in Black History, we celebrate Pearl Bailey. Pearl was a legendary Broadway singer and actress who won a Tony Award for the title role in the all African-American production of Hello, Dolly! in 1968. She starred with Sidney Poitier and Dorothy Dandridge in the film Porgy and Bess, as well as Mahalia Jackson, Nat King Cole and Ertha Kitt in the film St. Louis Blues. Finally, in 1985, at the age of 76, Pearl Bailey attended Georgetown University, where she earned a bachelor's degree in theology. Though she was born in 1918 and lived until 1990, she chose to never stop learning and made sure she lived her life with intention, regardless of the hardships that came her way. We appreciate you for listening today, and we look forward to hearing any feedback that you have. Today's producer was Natasha Boozer. This concludes the end of season three, but you'll hear from us periodically until the next season starts. In the meantime, may your life be blessed and flow with ease. I'm Christina Michelle. This is Culture Rich Conversations.